when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary of the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But then they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. I love how that reading ended like a cliffhanger. Adrenaline surging, yet with a jolt, jolted finish. There is a revelation. Jesus is alive. And yet there's so many questions left unanswered. There's so many dots to connect. And so gasping for breath, at a loss for words, the three women fled, trembling, bewildered, and afraid. Could you imagine that it was you there at the empty tomb on that historic moment? Have you ever been scared like that? You know, like someone walking up behind you, startling you, and that electricity just fires through your body. Or you're having a nightmare and someone's chasing you, but you can't scream, you can't run. You know, our world is a lot like that right now, isn't it? Like a, like a bad dream, leaving us trembling, bewildered, and afraid around things like political tensions and viruses and racial unrest and no school and mask. Those are just the global things. How about the personal things that leave us trembling and bewildered at the child's symptoms with no diagnosis yet? Or the husband who walked out on you or being attacked on social media or now having lost both of your parents. So I want to ask you, what are you most afraid of right now? What are you most afraid of right now? I mean, like, what is it that is um, causing you to run worst case scenarios or running contingency plans? What is it right now that's going in your, through your life, going through your head, that's causing you sleepless nights, or put another way, what's causing you to experience trembling, bewilderment, and fear? For me, I would say that I, I live in almost a constant sense of fear that something's going to happen to my wife 
or to my four children and now my two grandchildren. I just do. And I think it's because um, I have so many friends as I get older that are, uh, are receiving that devastating news. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm just assuming that it's a mathematical equation that the more people you have in your life and the longer you live, it's just like a mathematical thing. Eventually, the shoe is going to drop. And I am just kind of terrified at the shoe dropping on one of those people. And I know you're looking at me like saying, Pastor, we kind of expected you to be kind of above all that. I live with a kind of a low grade of anxiety. Sorry. The question is, how do we cope with our fears? And, and, the, and, and actually, I, I want to talk about that just for a few moments. So first of all, uh, not all of our fears are bad. I mean, fears are very much what it means to be human. Number two, the Bible says that some of our fears can actually be holy. We, we also know that God designed us to have and experience fear as a survival instinct when we run up against certain situations. Like, you know, you're with a group of people out in the jungle and a lion jumps out. You know, fear kicks in. Adrenaline starts to pump and prayerfully, hopefully, gives you the ability to outrun the slowest member of your group, right? <laughs> well, secondly, um, regarding fear, we all have it. We all experience it. And I know that it's a temptation right now to look to the people to the right or left of you or look to the people out in the public and, and it looks like their lives are all together and you're wondering, how is it that you're the only one you know, that's dealing with this kind of anxiety? Well, the truth is, we're not. As a matter of fact, old humorist Dave Barry said, all of us are born with a set of instinctive fears, a falling of the dark, of lobsters, of falling on lobsters in the dark, <laughs> of speaking before a rotary club, and the words some assembly required. And then there's the clinical response to dealing with our fears. And I can tell you personally that Christ-centered therapy has been a game changer for me and many friends that I know. Been there, done that, amen. But I want to look at this as a pastor from what the Bible says. What does the Bible say about how we can cope with our fears? How do we not allow our fears to rule over our lives? Or put a positive way, how can we have peace? Well, I've got good news for you. The Bible talks explicitly about this topic and offers us one really big idea. Pay attention. One really big idea. Here it is. Wait for it. Wait for it. Choose a better fear. Tremble at something bigger. Now, by this, I don't mean to invalidate our fear or dismiss it. I just want to right-size it. Because the reality is, fear is not our problem. It's placing our fear in the wrong thing that becomes the problem. And Jesus is very clear on this point in Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So there it is. Jesus is just 
shooting it to us straight, right? And I have learned in my three years of being here that that's how Kansans like it. That's how people from the show me state like it. Cut it to me straight, right? Cut it to me straight. So he's not talking about puppies and rainbows and unicorns here. He's getting right to the heart of the problem. I think what Jesus is getting at is two things. First of all, your God is too small. Your God is too small. Isn't it true that we have made God too small, reducing him to our preferences, holding him captive to our desires, projecting on him our sensibilities? And Jesus is saying that the living God is just way bigger than that. Choose to fear him. I think the second thing he's saying, kind of the same thing in a different way, is your fear is too small. Your fear is too small. What Jesus is inviting us to do is to choose a bigger fear. Choose a fear that is bigger than all the other fears, that has the power over everything in your life and in the cosmos for that matter, namely God himself. Because frankly, God is far scarier and can do way more damage than Satan, COVID, and snakes combined. Right? I threw in snakes because my wife is petrified of snakes. She cannot even look at a snake. And if you'll Google, you'll discover that most women have snakes as either number one or on the top of their list, including Eve of the Garden of Eden. So you're in good company, right? It's not my particular fear. However, I have my own. Jesus is essentially saying that we don't fear the living God. And when we don't fear or we lose the fear of God, we will fear everything else. Did you hear that? When we lose our fear, our rightful reverence for God, we will fear everything else. And I want you to to, to note that that's going to create a sort of a downward cycle for you. There is no good ending to this. And I want you to sort of follow my thought process in this. First of all, When you fear something, you give it power over your life. Number two, fear is not stagnant. It will grow in you. If you give it a place, it will grow in you. Psalm 94, 19 says that it will multiply in you. And as fear is multiplying in you, it'll begin to shape your very life. And the power of that over time, what it's going to do, it's going to alter your behaviors. So at some point, you are actually living afraid, living afraid. And the moment that happens, this fear becomes a little God in your life and it is the most powerful force within you. When you do that, you have made a devastating decision because there's only one of two outcomes awaiting you. Number one, your fear comes true, heaven forbid, but you discover that you've given and served your whole life to that fear so that you have nothing deeper, nothing bigger to cling to when the fear emerges. You have no hope, no rescue, no resolve, and ultimately it will leave you in a place of despair. Maybe some of you have already experienced that 
or know someone who has. Or the second outcome is that your fear never materializes. And that's likely going to be the outcome. Do you know that the vast majority of things you currently fear about never materialize? They never come about. And so what you realize is that all of these years, all of these moments, you could have been doing something else. You have been in bondage to that fear. And it has been a colossal waste of time. Either way, you either end up in despair or you end up in bondage. So I want you to ask yourself, do you see that progression in you that you've left a little fear take birth in you and now it's growing and now it is multiplying within you? And so we wonder why we walk around so stressed out and so anxious. But I've got some good news because Jesus wasn't done talking Praise the Lord. <laughs> I, I interrupted him mid-thought. I want, I want to look at verses 5 and 6. I read to you verses 4 and 5. Now I want to read the next thought of Jesus. He, he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are numbered. Do, don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Immediately after Jesus tells us in verse four and five to fear God, now he's telling us, don't be afraid, right? It's kind of strange, right? But what Jesus is actually saying, if you look at these two passages together, he is saying that when you fear God, who is the most powerful force in the world, you can relax. Why? Because the one you fear is good. Not only is he good, but the one you fear is love. Jesus said, look at the birds of the sky. Not a one of them falls to the ground apart from the Father's knowledge. He knows them by name. He's even counted and numbered the hairs on your head, right? It's not like you just have 3,000 hairs. You have hair number one and hair number 27 and hair number 1,027, right? I mean, God is capable and therefore intimately chooses to be involved in your life. Why? Because you matter to him deeply. Now that would be a nice thing to say if it were true. And that's why the empty grave is so important. The empty grave confirms that with God, there is no rival, there is no equal. God is the most powerful force and over anything you could fear. He conquered death, which is the biggest, baddest fear that any of us faces. The empty grave reminds us that we stand not before a dead man, but we stand before a living God, awesome in power and mighty in strength. Someone from out of town. Thank you for that. They're coming along, though. I say to them often, I'm preaching better than you're responding. Can I get a hallelujah? There we go. You started something. 
not only is this power confirmed, so too is his love. And because of the empty grave, we can join with Paul in saying, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that's a hallelujah. Right. So William Eisenhower, this guy, explains the relationship with rightly fearing God in this way. Lean in on this one. This is good. Unfortunately, many of us presume that the world is the ultimate threat and that God's function is to offset it. How different this is from the biblical position that God is far scarier than the world. When we assume that the world is the ultimate threat, we give it unwarranted power. For in truth, the world's threats are temporary. And when we expect God to balance the stress of the world, we reduce him to the world's equal. As I walk with the Lord, I discover that God poses an ominous threat to my ego, but not to me. He rescues me from my delusions so he may reveal the truth that sets me free. He casts me down only to lift me up again. He sits in judgment of my sin, but forgives me nevertheless. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but love from the Lord is its completion. Ah, that's good. So in the midst of our ailments and suffering and pain, in the midst of our worry and anxiety, in the midst of our real world anguish, we are called by Jesus to cheer up, get on our feet, because the risen one is calling you. And he is all-powerful, and he is all-good, and he is complete love. And that, my friends, is the difference. The three women at the empty, empty grave, what they did is they chose a better fear than most of us. The one who is far scarier. And they were trembling and bewildered and afraid, not at an, empty, at an empty grave, not at empty lives. Their, the grave was empty, but their hearts were full. And I'm sure that these three women had their own set of fears, just like you and me. But when they saw the heavy stone to the side of Jesus' burial cave, and they cautiously ducked down and entered into that dark cave and saw an angel but no Jesus. Well, there, my friends, is when they got a new fear, a new fear, the kind of fear like Moses when he's standing in front of a burning bush or Elijah when he's calling fire down from heaven or Isaiah who was kissed by a searing lump of coal. Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome stood at the entrance of the cave with spices in hand, saucer eyes, frozen like statues before an angel in burning light, trembling, bewildered, and afraid because they were encountering the living presence of God. They trembled at an empty grave, at nothing else and no one else. So I want to ask you the question, 
do you want to tremble like that? Such a trembling that it made you run, breathless, veins bulging, gasping for air. Let me ask you, when's the last time, like these women, you felt like that you were standing on holy ground and you didn't dare speak? Maybe it's because our God is too small. Maybe it's because our fear is too small. And today, the scriptures, Jesus is crying out to you, choose a better fear. Because we too today, in this moment, we tremble at an empty grave, at nothing else and no one else. So let me ask you, would you like God to be bigger in your life today? For him to multiply within you? Hmm. Would you like to upgrade your little fear for a holy and loving fear? If you do, then I invite you to cheer up on your feet. He is calling you. No, really. Cheer up on your feet. He is calling you, right? Cheer up on your feet. He is calling you. And what I want to do for you right now is I want to pray over you, whether you're here at Lenexa Speedway or watching online. So close your head. Close your head, right? Yeah. If you can do that, do it. Close your eyes and bow your head. And, it, and if you're leaning in on this, I mean, you could be brand new to this experience. I mean, someone brand new walked in yesterday, our first service in, with their family and said, how does all this work? If maybe that's you or you've been around this a long time. If you're leaning into this and like you're in agreement with it and you want this prayer over you, then I'm going to invite you to signal that to God by just taking the palms of your hand and holding them out toward God. No one's looking at you. It's just between you and him. And let me pray over you. Dear God, some of us are doubting right now that you emptied the grave. God, by your spirit, reveal to us that you are risen, alive, and that today you sit on the throne as Lord. Some of us are jaded. We have heard it all before and believe it, kind of. But disrupt us, O oh God. Shock us awake with a jolt. Some of us are discouraged right now. We don't see you in our world, in our lives, and we are giving in to the lesser fears. Some of us are afraid. God, take every power and influence over us that is not of you and bind it. O Lord, risen God, conquer this fear in me. If you're still with me, I want you to whisper this prayer out loud to God, wherever you're at. God, reveal yourself to me. I want to encounter you. Make the empty grave a reality in my life in a way that grips me anew. And all of God's people said, Amen. Church, as we leave this resurrection service today, I want to remind you that we tremble at an empty grave, at nothing else and no one else. 
So I want to call you to courage. I want to call you to courage that we do not tremble at national elections, but we tremble at the one who has already been declared the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We do not tremble at outbreaks and pullbacks, but we tremble at the one who has pulled back the veil of heaven. We do not tremble or wait for the other shoe to drop, but rather we tremble at the one whose sandals we are unworthy to tie. Church, we do not tremble at breaking news, but we tremble at the one who has given us good news that he died for our sins. He rose again, ascended. It is now sitting on his throne as Lord over all of your fears and over all of creation. We do not tremble at doomsayers' predictions, but we tremble at the one who has promised to return to make all things new. We tremble at an empty grave, at no one else and nothing else, because Jesus said, I have said these things to you so that you may have peace. In the world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so church, join with me and with 2.2 billion Christians all over the world who this day are declaring, He is risen. He is risen. Here we go. He is risen.